Hey everybody, I'm Kai Rizdal. Welcome back to Make Me Smart, where we make today make sense. And I'm Kimberly Adams. This is What Do You Want to Know Wednesday, the day when you get to bring your questions and we bring the answers as best we can. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, you can leave us a voicemail at 508-UB-SMART or email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org. All right, first question. Here we go. Whoops, that was me moving the chair. Charlton, hit it. <laughs> Hi, guys. This is Art calling from Chicago, and I wondered right. if you could take a look at what's happening in Sudan and mm. make us smart about what a complete breakdown in their governmental system might mean for the rest of the world economically. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. That's such a good question. It's been so interesting watching this play out. Tragic, yes, of course, because a lot of people have lost their lives and it's getting pretty bad over there. But we talked so much uh, when the war in Ukraine first started about how differently that was being covered and the attention given to it compared to conflicts elsewhere in the world and how much that had to do with sort of the geopolitical implications of one country versus another. And so it's been mm -hmm. really interesting seeing the lack of attention on Sudan and everything happening there in, in light of all of that. But some of it does indeed relate to what the ripple effects are. So first of all, what's going on in Sudan? The current conflict broke out in mid-April, mainly in the country's capital, which is Khartoum. Um, and the fighting is between the Sudanese military and then this powerful sort of paramilitary group outside of the government known as the RSF. The leaders of both of these groups think they should be running the government and running the country. And the country has been under military rule since 2019 when a coup led by both the military and the RSF deposed the country's longtime leader, which was Omar al-Bashir. And so there's been a military person running stuff over there ever since then. Now, ideally what was supposed to happen after that coup was that there were going to be democratic elections and there would be a reestablishment of civilian rule never actually happened and so that conflict is just flaring up because since there was not ever that civilian handover it's kind of been infighting between these two factions over which you know sort of military entity is going to be in charge and this conflict has you know, killed many, many people there, um, has lots of people stranded and stuck in extraordinarily dangerous um, mm -hmm. conditions. Hospitals are not able to operate properly, and it's a pretty dire situation. It also has um, some other economic consequences. So it's caused a surge in prices for the people who are still there, shortages of basic goods, collapse in the banking system in the capital city. It's worsening an already serious regional humanitarian crisis as refugees are leaving Sudan for neighboring countries, if not further afield. I mean, people are still having terrible accidents in the Mediterranean Sea trying to get into Europe. And yeah. that violence has also interrupted trade in and out of the country. And so in terms of the economic impacts outside of Sudan, uh, it's a country that's located on the Red Sea, you know, near the Middle East. So if you're thinking, if you don't know where it sits in the world, it's right below, you know, Egypt. So if you think about Africa, you know, and you're looking at the sort of upper right-hand corner, there's Egypt and then Sudan, right? Okay. So it's on the Red Sea, and that makes it an important player in global trade routes, because if you think about maybe going to the Suez Canal, you might need to go past Sudan in, in the Red Sea. 
And it's so it is an important player in global trade routes. Also, if your countries like the United Arab Emirates, which made a deal to build a port in Sudan last year, lots of folks have a bit at stake here. Also, Sudan exports important resources like gold, crude oil, and news you can use, uh, 80% of the world's gum Arabic, which mm -hmm. is used in food additives, paint, and makeup. So a lot of experts are worried that the current conflict could go on a long time and cause this violence to spill over into neighboring countries, which could create even more regional instability. But you know, right now the humanitarian crisis is pretty much top of mind. But that's where we are. Yeah, totally, totally. That was a good little summary. That was a good little summary. It's a big deal. Yeah. Humanitarian uh, and otherwise. Yeah. Okay, moving on to our next question. Andrew from Long Beach sent us this. We talk about the Secretary of the Treasury and the Federal Reserve Chair all the time, but I never, ever hear anything about the Treasurer of the United mm -hmm. States. And yet, their signature is right there on every bill the Mint prints. What do they do? This is a Kai it question. Is actually, I ever heard it one. Is, it, is, <laughs> it is right next to, Jan or across the bill, across the portrait, if you will, of the person whose portrait, <laughs> of the dead white guy whose portrait it is, uh, right next to Janet Yellen's, which is kind of great. So the treasurer uh, runs Fort Knox, where we keep, obviously, the gold, runs the mint, uh, where coinage comes from, the Bureau of Engraving and Printing, where the currency comes from. Um, also, they kind of work as kind of go between the Treasury and the Federal Reserve, sort of at the staff level, because obviously Janet Yellen and Jay Powell have each other's phone numbers. Uh, and they give advice to the Treasury Secretary on community development things and public uh, engagement as well. The current incumbent uh, in the Treasurer's office is Marilyn Malerba. She's the first Native American to hold that position. She also, not coincidentally, holds the heads the Treasury's Office of Tribal and Native Affairs, created when she was appointed. So she talks about department-wide tribal relations there, right? Native relations uh, in, the, in that ginormous bureaucracy that is the Treasury Department. Um, and, and as I said a minute ago, treasurers act as ambassadors, if you will, to underserved communities, particularly in Malerba's case with Native American communities. Here's why you don't hear about this job too much. It's not a policy job. It's not uh, the Treasury Secretary. It's not the head of the Fed. It's not on the National Economic Council or the Council of Economic Advisors. Um, it is more ceremonial than anything else. Um, it's, it's mostly been uh, subsumed by the Treasury Department. So that's why you don't hear about it um, a lot. But interesting question. Really good question. All right. Next question. Here we go. Matthew. Matthew, Matthew, Matthew. This is a good one, too, actually. He writes to say he's disappointed that Netflix is nixing its DVD rental service rather, and wants to know, and here's the quote, what the heck is Netflix going to do with their enormous inventory of discs? Great question. It is a good question. It reminds me, I think the last Netflix DVD I got in the mail was for Lost, the TV show. Wow. At some wow. point. Yeah, way back when. Anyway, uh, so in case you missed it, after years of dwindling subscribers, Netflix is planning to end its DVD by mail service in September. And n since Netflix started renting DVDs in 1998, we know that the company has sent out over 5.2 billion discs 
discs. That's mm. a hard word to say, discs. Uh, but to answer the question, Netflix has declined to say how they're going to get rid of all that inventory. Some film enthusiasts are hoping that Netflix is going to sell the used DVDs if you want a little piece of Netflix nostalgia. Uh, others were speculating, unfortunately, that the whole library is just going to end up in a landfill. Uh, for mm. a little while, it looked like Redbox, which is this DVD rental company that you may see there big boxes in grocery stores mm -hmm. where you can rent uh, DVDs from there, that maybe they might save the collection by purchasing the DVD rental part of Netflix's business, but Netflix has repeatedly declined that offer. I have mm. to wonder if some of this is tied up in whatever licensing agreements they had with the studios in oh. order to rent yeah, those course. things out in the first place. They probably had some restrictions on you know, how they could distribute it, you know, because it, you, you were only sending them out one at a time. So effectively, each one of those discs would represent probably like one license. And so mm -hmm. that Netflix would control. Mm -hmm. And so then if you just send them out into the ether, you know, it just kind of opens the door for pirating and stuff like that. So mm. anyway, mm. yeah. Good question. Love that one. Oh. All right, time for our last question of the day. It's an email from Mike in Buffalo, New York, and here is what it says. I was recently at the Dollar Tree, purveyor of all things party supplies and balloons, mm -hmm. and they no longer had the out of helium sign up. So is the great helium shortage over if we can once again fill balloons? Good question. Man, today's questions are good. I, I really like today's yeah. questions. So there is a helium shortage. Uh, it's not as bad as it was, but there is uh, still a helium shortage going on. Uh, started about in 19, sorry, not in 19, started give or take in 2021 with a bunch of um, big helium plants uh, around the planet have had outages or failures, failures, which limited availability and productivity. Matt Levin did a great story actually for us about um, Party City back uh, mm -hmm. a number of months ago. Also, I can't remember if it was Savannah Marr or Marielle who did a story for us about helium and like lab work and stuff. It was crazy, crazy. I think that uh, helium, was Marielle, obviously. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't remember. Anyway. The reason it's so important is that helium has lots of really, really critical applications, MRI machines, semiconductor manufacturing, um, spaceships, uh, and also big balloons. Uh, and also uh, when those balloons start to run out of air, in my house anyway, I'm obliged by my children, or I was when they were younger, to inhale the gas and uh, make my voice sound funny. Which always <laughs> struck a little terror in me because, you know, my voice is what puts food on the table around here. And I was loath to mess with it, but still I'm okay. So anyway, so here's Good the deal. Dad we call sacrificing Phil... <laughs> for the entertainment <laughs> of children. That's right. Love it. We might wind up in the poorhouse, kids, but here's what your dad sounds like on helium. Anyway, <laughs> Phil Kornbluth, we called him. He's a guy who runs a helium consulting business. His answer, and he's the trained professional, the shortage has gotten better, but it is a concern. It could get bad again, at least in the short term. Here are the specifics. Shortage is kind of minimal. We're, we're down about 10% of global shortage, global supply. Um, so, you know, the sign at your Dollar Tree has gone away. But Exxon, which not only dabbles in fossil fuels, as you know, is closing a helium plant for maintenance in July. One plant, maybe not such a big deal, except for this plant contributes and supplies 23% of the world's helium production. I mean, helium's out there, but this plant, you know, gets it and bottles it and sends it out. So helium prices could go up. Phil did say that after that plant reopens and a new Russian helium 
plant comes on later in the year, although, you know, air quotes around Russian helium plants, because who the hell knows what's going to happen over there. Um, And they are heavily sanctioned, right? So, mm, you know, there is a shortage, not as bad as it was. Um, Could go into 2025, Phil said, or could end sometime next year. Kind of don't know. Good question, though. Helium. I feel like there's a helium shortage story that we do every couple of years because, like, every couple of years there's, like, uh, a shortage and a crisis and medical device people are worried and the party industry is worried and, you know, what are we going to do? And then it just kind of goes away. And then a couple of years later there's another, oh, my gosh, helium shortage. And I was surprised to find out in one of these rounds of it that helium is a finite resource. And Mm -hmm. so it's almost like, you know, the way that oil production, the prices of a barrel, the price of a barrel of oil goes up or down, not because there's any more or less oil in the world, but because of various components of getting it out of the ground, you know, processing right. it and getting it to us is where the price fluctuations and the shortages happen. And it's similar yep. with helium because there's only so yep. much of it in the ground. It's all about supply right. chain, always is. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it for us. A, a neat and tidy, uh, you know, 13-ish minutes, whatever. If you've got a question about anything else uh, that we haven't covered today, because we only did four things, um, uh, anything uh, you want to know about the economy or business and technology, let us know. 508-UB-SMART. 508-U-B-S-M-A-R-T. Or email us at makemesmart at marketplace.org, and we will hook you up. Make Me Smart is produced by Courtney Bergseeker. Ellen Rolfus writes our newsletter. Our intern is Antonio Barreras. Today's program was engineered by Charleston Thorpe. Ben Tolliday and Daniel Ramirez composed our theme music. Our senior producer is Marissa Cabrera. Bridget Bodner is the director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is the executive director of digital and on the, wait for it, man. Nicely done. We all want to be our best selves, but it can be an expensive journey. From experimenting with alternative medicine. I was working with a natural, holistic nutritionist and never really thought about the cost. To splurging on fast fashion. I'm spending like all my tips. I was definitely spending like $200 a week. I'm Rima Hreis, host of Marketplace's This Is Uncomfortable. This season, we explore the cost of self-care and the real motivations behind our spending choices. Listen to This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts.